Welcome to the Insider at Heritage Museums and Gardens, where every other week we chat with guests and museum staff about all the exciting things that are happening in season here at the museum. This year, the museum is celebrating its 50th anniversary, so please plan to join us. My name is Judith Getz, and I'm happy to be your host today. In this episode, we're speaking to Jennifer Madden, the Director of Collections and Exhibitions. Today, we'll be talking about From Carriage to Classic, How Automobiles Transformed America. Last week, of course, we explored the first floor of this exhibit. This week, we will continue our conversation with Jennifer as we explore the second floor of the exhibit. All right, we are back in uh, the Round Barn with Jennifer Madden, the Director of Collections and Exhibitions. And, of course, we're talking about From Carriage to Classic, How Automobiles Transformed America. Jennifer, this is, uh, this is very different than what I would uh, say is the first part of this entire exhibit. This first part, you're seeing a huge evolution in design and car and function, um, engine type. I mean, I could go on. Right. Yep. Down here on the lower level, you're seeing cars as they kind of develop into a new system of, uh, you know, some similarities. Right. Um, but we're going to delve into exactly what the differences are. And we're going to start with the 1919 Pierce Arrow Model 48. Right. So as you were alluding to, as you come downstairs here now, gasoline is pretty firmly established as the way automobiles are going to be powered in the future. All of our vehicles on this level are gasoline. And we, at this point, automakers have gotten the basic mechanics of a gasoline engine and a gasoline car figured out. There's no, they're not worried about making it run anymore and making it reliable anymore, so they are free now to totally go crazy with the luxury. Um, Of course, this is 1919. We're about to go into the Roaring Twenties. Um, they know that to get people to buy cars from their company, they need to wow customers with color, uh, luxurious options, and make them really fun. So that's what you'll see on this level. All right, and I know that we left upstairs with the 1916. We were talking about basically $1,885, I think is right. what you told me before. Right. And uh, 1919, and we see this new car, and price new, <laughs> wow, sticker Six, shot, right. 6500 6, Right, 6500 So in 2019 dollars, that's $95,000. So, so that's you, a big chunk of change for right, people. Exactly. That, that's a new figure, new calculations we did on the mm-hmm. labels this year, specifically to make it easier for people to set these cars into context. These are not average, everyday cars people are buying. These are for extremely wealthy individuals. And uh, so does that mean a lifetime of use and no problems? <laughs> <laughs> Is that no? <laughs> no, no. Just like cars today, they had plenty of problems. Yeah. Now, one thing I am noticing between 1919 and 1916, it might have been on the 1916 electric, but I, uh, I didn't notice it. I see a windshield wiper all of a sudden appear. Right, right. <laughs> and a lot of times windshield wipers were not standard equipment, and they were actually extras or options that you purchased either from the manufacturer or from an aftermarket supplier. So we're not even talking about radios. We're talking about Correct. <laughs> whether or not yep. you want a windshield wiper. All right. 
Um, we move along a little bit, and we are looking at a Rolls-Royce, the 1922 yeah. Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost. Great name. Yes. And it looks like the Silver Ghost. I, it looks like, hey, I just want to go and polish this vehicle. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's got a terrific amount of silver. It's got a terrific head. Uh, uh, what do we call it? Adornment? What is there a name for a, that? Um, yes. A hood ornament. A hood ornament. All right. So beautiful. This one is beautiful. Yes. This hood ornament is called Spirit of Ecstasy. Oh. Oh, so you could get pick That's different ones. Yes, you could. Yep. Right. This one is particular to Rolls Royce. Yeah. Okay. So absolutely gorgeous. What? And uh, now all of a sudden we're seeing that um, in this particular model, at any rate, um, our spares are covered and beautiful, appointed. Uh, RR on them. Yes, right. <laughs> They've yep. got a little bit of symbol status to them. Right. Uh, again, the small windshield wiper, which we had noted before, and uh, rear view mirrors, and there is protection for your backseat passenger, but it's not yep. enclosed. Right. Yep. A lot of these cars, they were available in closed body styles, mm -hmm. but if you are a collector, like Mr. Lilly was, the more desirable cars are the open cars. And why is that? Just out of curiosity. Just like convertibles are desirable today same okay. things happening at this time all right great yep. mm -hmm. all right so we move along a little bit and we turn around and all of a sudden we're confronted with the 1925 rickenbacker a coupe uh covered yes this one is completely enclosed again was available in a convertible style as well uh, this car was developed by Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, who um, before World War I had been a race car driver and a riding mechanic, like we talked about upstairs with the Stutz Bearcat. Uh, during World War I, he became a, f a famous flying ace, and most people in the United States would have recognized his name. So just like today, when you're famous, you try and capitalize on your name when he was finished with World War I, he came back and partnered with some folks who had experience making automobiles, and uh, they used his name to release a line of cars. So he definitely would have been on the Wheaties box. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yep. All right, so very well known. The car actually, uh, I, I could very easily see my grandfather driving that. Yes. Um, yep. Beautiful, um, again, hood ornament, uh, unique to Rickenbacker. And did these cars last? I mean, we don't know of uh, this particular model type in today's day and age, or at least in my lifetime. Right. Yep. There weren't very many Rickenbackers made to begin mm -hmm. with. The company was only in business for a short period of time. They mm -hmm. made mechanically innovative cars. They could really use Eddie's experience as a race car driver to release cars that were a little bit ahead of their time mechanically. The bad part was people weren't necessarily understanding why they wanted those mechanical advances and why they should pay extra for them. Okay. So the company was not successful over the long term. Okay. Uh, we move along, and all of a sudden, 1925, the same as the um, Rickenbacker, I guess, yep. uh, the Franklin Sport Runabout. Right. What's unique about this car is it is air-cooled. It looks from the front like it has a radiator, just mm -hmm. like all the other cars. That is completely false. Uh, <laughs> it is an air-cooled car, um, uh -huh. but they just wanted to give the illusion of a um, having a radiator like all the other cars. Franklin... From the beginning, they only made air-cooled cars. That was very unusual at the time. But until the Volkswagen Beetle came along, this was the most successful air-cooled car manufacturer out there. All right, so there, all of a sudden you're seeing a terrific amount of standard options on here. The headlights are large. Yes. And they're in place. They're not movable. Right. Um, 
you're noticing hood ornaments. People, as you had mentioned, are trying to distinguish their automobile from others, mm -hmm. and terrific amount of elegance as well. Yes. Yep. So we move along, and uh, before you actually capture the next car, you notice that Wayne Carini, who is a very well-known, uh, well, he does the, he's the host of the Discovery Channel TV show, Chasing Classic Cars. He has picked this particular automobile, which is the 1927 Lincoln Sport Touring. Right. Why? So we've had, <laughs> we've had a great relationship with Wayne over the past several years. And mm -hmm. Wayne's father actually restored this vehicle for a neighbor in Connecticut when Wayne was a child. So it was restored for Mr. Holt, who was a local dairy farmer. He, Mr. Holt, owned the car, you know, obviously paid to have it restored, but didn't actually drive it. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Holt allowed Wayne's father, Bob Carini, to take it to local car shows. So Wayne remembers as a child riding in this car to local car shows, and it really has a special place in his heart. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and as you look at the Lincoln, uh, truth be told, I look at the Lincoln, and I'm automatically thinking, I'm looking at the hood ornament right now, but I see what looks like a... Uh, a large uh, greyhound jumping out and right. very similar to what Lincoln is using today in yes. one way or another. <laughs> so beautiful, beautiful automobile and uh, harkens back to some of the earlier ones that we saw in the way that some of the pieces are designed. Yep. But all of a sudden we've got three rows right. in this particular one. Yep, there are jump seats for a middle row in this car so you can fold those away if you don't need them or get them out if you have more passengers. Wow. So we're getting bigger. Mm -hmm. we're, we're approaching a bus, maybe. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and um, next car that we see is bright red, beautiful car, 1927, just like the last one we saw. This is the LaSalle Sport Phaeton. Phaeton. Yep. And uh, the back seat, unlike other cars, and I hate to point out this one difference because I know that's probably not why it's in this particular <laughs> exhibit, but... Uh, that those backseat passengers are really kind of secluded. Right. This this car is called a dual cowl uh, body style. So the cowl is the part of the body um, at the sort of at the back of the hood, right in front of the driver. So in this case, there is a cowl in front of the driver, and then also a cowl behind the driver and ahead of the backseat passengers. That was a very very rare body type, only 10 of them were made in 1927, and only three survived today. So this is a pretty rare body style. To get in, you need to open the door, lift up, that whole cowl hinges up so you can get in and then pull it back down. Wow, so you're you're in there for the you long haul. You are in haul. there, yes. Yep. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. Right. Okay. Well, um, anything in particular about the engine that people should know? Uh, this car has a pretty standard engine. What's special about this car is the body style. This mm -hmm. is the first car that was designed by Harley Earl, who went on to become very famous auto designer. Uh, but at this point, auto des design, body design, was a brand new, wasn't even really a profession mm -hmm. yet, and he was one of the first people to do it. And one thing that you will know are a lot of uh, uh, lights and things that you're not necessarily seeing on other cars. Yeah. What look like, you know, modern-day spotlights on some, exactly. say, 1960s yeah. model cop cars. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> um, so, again, you're not necessarily driving or arriving at places with well-lit street signs mm -hmm. or well-lit house numbers. So you could use the spotlight to help you get around at night. All right, terrific. We move down, and um, a similar car 
uh, actually it's about seven years older to the car that we've just seen. This is the Ford Phaeton Model 48. Yeah. Oh, is, is there something with the Model 48? It seems like a couple of the cars are Model 48. <laughs> I never noticed it. <laughs> um, but this is uh, a beautiful car. Again, it, uh, it's the Ford, but it's got a little bit of the Lincoln uh, hood ornament on it. Right. Um, right. But a beautiful car nonetheless. Uh, you've got a very standard uh, wheel over it now. Everything has moved over into the left-hand side. Yeah. Um, there's actually a dashboard that looks very familiar to uh, drivers today. Right. You've got a nice little um, glove compartment box. Mm -hmm. So uh, people are spending a little more time in the car, I'm thinking. Right. This car, in contrast to every other car on this floor, this car is a relatively affordable vehicle mm -hmm. for your average family. This is a Ford. Price new in 1935 was $580. So in 2019 dollars, that's about 10,500. Very, very reasonably priced. And you, you actually have another figure that I think kind of gives a little bit of relevance to that price new, which was yep. again 580 dollars. The average annual income in 1935 was 1,500 dollars. Right. Yeah. So if you save your pennies, it's affordable. Right. This is an affordable car. This car also has a great history to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was purchased new in 1935 at the Manhattan Ford dealership for Paul Talbot, who was 16 at the time. When he had turned 12, he asked his parents for a bicycle, and they really felt bicycles were unsafe. And so they made a deal with him. If he held off on the bicycle, they would buy him a brand new car when he turned 16. So he took them up on that deal, and they went and picked out the car, and then they drove it to their house here on the Cape in Brewster, and it mm -hmm. stayed at the Brewster house uh, for then three generations after that until it was donated to the museum by Paul's wife. Well, it's in pristine condition. Yes. Uh, for those yeah. that come to see it, you really will be considering the history mm. and the many things that can happen generation <laughs> to generation. Right. This is quite amazing to be able to see something of this um, uh, stature in such great condition. Yes. And this is a great car, this next one. Uh, we're talking about Burgundy and the 1936 Cord Westchester. And uh, now we have just gone full on, very protective. Uh, it almost looks like a capsule on the inside. Right. Yeah, the design of this car was extraordinary for the time. It didn't look anything like any other 1930s car that was out there. Um, the designer for this, E.L. Cord, was thinking so far ahead of his time, and he released a ton of new features on this vehicle. So things that people can see are the teardrop-shaped fenders. You'll notice it's so low. It's front-wheel drive, so this is the first car that is manufactured, commonly available to average buyers with front-wheel drive. Mm -hmm. That means that the rear drivetrain is eliminated and the car, the whole car can get lower and eliminate the running boards on the sides of the car. This is the first car that has the alligator style hinged hood mm -hmm. like we associate with cars today. The shape of the front of the hood here, it's called a coffin nose for obvious reasons. There are disappearing headlights. Yeah, I did car, notice that. Right? Beautiful. Right. Mm -hmm. And those are actually operated by two hand cranks inside here. The driver needs to operate a hand crank and the passenger operate a hand crank to get the headlights up. 
And do they have to continuously handle that or nope. you open nope. it and close you it? You can open okay. and close it and then leave them. Uh, the unfortunate thing was there were so many new features on this car released all at the same time that had not been adequately tested in advance that this car got a reputation of being absolutely gorgeous but completely unreliable. Uh, so uh, anything in particular about the cord that, uh, that we should know in addition to, I noticed, for example, at the Rickenbacker, and the cord seems to have, they both seem to have kind of run their course as far as, um, you know, what they were able to provide at the time, both in design and speed and change. Um, and we don't hear of cords anymore. <laughs> that is very true. Very true. Just like we don't hear of Rickenbackers, they were both very innovative car makers for their time. And they pushed forward a lot of mechanical innovations that later became standard mm -hmm. on automobiles, but it was just a little bit too too much too soon for their time, and they were not economically successful. So kind of needed, they both needed tweaks. Yes. Over time. Right. Well, uh, now we end over uh, end up over at Corvette. I have a particular. I have family history with the Corvette. Oh, really? I do. I don't okay. know if I've shared this with no, you. No, I don't think so. Um, but first, I want to mention that it. Uh, this is the 1962 Chevrolet Corvette. Of course, we're speaking of. Um, Chev our Corvettes celebrated a birthday recently, didn't they? Yes, they did. They were 50 years old as well. Yeah. <laughs> so sharing a lot. Yes. Um, but, uh, for many reasons, which we won't get into. <laughs> um, but the Corvette itself, uh, when it came off the line, uh, my uh, husband's family, the uh, his grandfather purchased the third one off the line. Oh my gosh, I did not know that. Yes, this is true. It's a wow. trivial pursuit question. Okay, so <laughs> weed is the last name. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Corvette has many, many interesting features. They are beloved by people generation yes. to generation. Absolutely, uh, they have terrific style. They're known for speed, class. I, I mean, I could go on and on, right. but. The Corvette, beautiful car. Yes, Why absolutely is this in the gorgeous. Exhibit? Absolutely gorgeous. And really, it's it's funny now to think that Corvette almost didn't make it in the beginning. It was designed again by Harley Earl. So mm -hmm. think back to our 1927 LaSalle. That was his first design. And then later, he designed the um, Corvette. And it was released at the Motorama, which was an annual car show that GM did. And most of the cars at the Motorama were intended as one-offs, you know, sort of crazy designs or just to show what the company could do, but they weren't meant to be cars that went into production. But the Corvette went into production virtually unchanged, which was very unusual. The public loved it, but they didn't buy them. Mm -hmm. They liked to look at them, but they didn't want to buy them. And for or GM said, we're going to have to get rid of the Corvette. It's really not successful. But Ford had released the Thunderbird at that point. And then GM is forced to keep the Corvette just for competitive reasons. And then, of course, it turned into the iconic American sports car that everyone remembers. And moved into other ventures like the Mustang. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, terrific car. Um, again, if you're playing trivia pursuit, Spencer Waits, you're nice. Okay, all right, there we go. <laughs> all right, so uh, then we uh, dip over here into this area that is actually part of the exhibit is to um, engage people in various ways uh, with cars. 
Uh, we have a Model T. We did a wonderful video that I would encourage everybody to check out that talks about how to actually start Model T. Right. It's not as easy as you'd think. Yeah. It is uh, complicated, and there are some safety features that go along with it. Watch the video. You'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. However, you can sit in the vehicle, I believe, and get your yes. pictures taken. Right. And there's also a terrific part of this um, uh, exhibit that allows children to kind of interact with cars in a different way. Right. Now, you've got an inner circle. I kind yes. of view it as uh, the best of the best because uh, I, I see my personal favorite. Okay. And I see one that I know very, very well. And then we have a third car, which I'm not nearly as familiar with, but I know that it's all here for a very specific reason. Right. Let's start with the 1932 Auburn Bowtail Speedster. If you haven't seen this car, it is the most elegant and exquisite piece, I think, in our collection, probably for not all the wrong reasons. <laughs> it is a beautiful car. Most people want yes, to just is. be seen in this. Yep. To have a chance to have a ride in it is something people, I'm sure, would travel for. Right, right. <laughs> Tell me about this automobile. This is most people's favorite car in the collection. I think mm -hmm. uh, many, many people would agree with you. Uh, it's a two-seater, very low-sitting, uh, black and silver vehicle. I like to put it in the center circle so people can see it from above. Mm -hmm. It has great lines from up above. It's a boat tail. Um, so that is interesting to see. Surprisingly, although it looks like a very expensive car, it was not a particularly expensive car for the time. It cost $975, which again at $2019 is $18,000, fairly reasonably priced. I think in 32, I probably would have had to have five at least. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, sort of what they call showroom bait, mm -hmm. where you people would want to go into the Auburn dealership and take a look at this car, but then possibly buy another Auburn that was more practical you for You just a said that because right. it's got marketing behind oh, it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, one the other thing I would definitely want to mention about the boat's tail as well is that E.L. Cord was involved with this company as well, the Auburn Company. Yes. And from what I understand, yep. he rescued them from yes, a uh, near fail. Correct. Um, but ultimately, they were not successful in meeting those demands. So you will see some ingenuity behind design, which we saw before on um, the uh, Cord Westchester, and the 36 Cord Westchester, which was his own company. But right. um, beautiful, beautiful car. Yeah. This car, I think Heritage is best known for this next particular car, and it's not because of its most interesting paint job, <laughs> <laughs> which is a pale green along with a bright yellow. Um, I'm talking, of course, 1930 Duesenberg Model J. Yes. Who owned this car? Gary Cooper owned this car. Gary Cooper owned this car. It's a beautiful yes. car. Yes. Everybody wants to uh, be a part and somehow with this car. It shows yep. up on the campus from um, any kind of a... Uh, vacation away, shall we say, and everybody lines up to see this particular car. What is Absolutely. so special about the Duesenberg? Duesenbergs were considered and are considered today the best car that America produced. Um, the Model J in particular was considered the best of the Duesenbergs, and so to have a Duesenberg Model J and then to have it be owned by Gary Cooper, a famous owner, mm -hmm. really puts it above and beyond 
uh, most of the other cars in our collection. So we're talking about 1930. We've talked yep. about prices. This would have been, uh, let me just start with this particular figure. 1930, the average annual income was $1,388. Right. What did this particular Duesenberg sell for brand new then? About 14000 Yeah. Nobody's affording this. Nope. <laughs> Very few people. Right. So this has a custom body on it. Something we haven't discussed yet mm -hmm. in either podcast is that in early luxury vehicles, like with the 19th Simplex upstairs, what you were buying was the motor and the chassis for the car or the frame of the car. You were not buying the car with the body on it. So, for example, upstairs Simplex, you couldn't buy a body from the company. You had to go someplace else to get a body. Here, Durham, so Duesenberg made the car, Durham made the body, a very high-end body style maker. So you could get a custom body however you wanted it arranged. So it, could, it had a dual purpose as well. It can be a racing car, yes. correct? Yes, yeah. Gary Cooper raced this car. He had the back end modified to a boat tail mm -hmm. to make it faster. Um, we, well, not, we did not previous owners restored it to its original configuration in the rear. And the colors, is that just? Colors are original. They're this original, wow. primrose yellow and parkway green, original colors. For I can't car. say I would have gone for something like this, but it definitely is flashy. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and you will notice it. And of course, this car as well was picked by David McGraw. Why uh, did he pick this particular automobile? David has had a really long association with Heritage, mm -hmm. um, back to when Mr. Lilly was alive, and uh, David really appreciates all of the luxury fe features available on this car. No, it's absolutely beautiful. Yes. I Just no words. Yep. So now uh, we are heading to the third car, which is um, a uh, 1930 Cadillac V16 convertible coupe. Um, I kind of uh, consider it nondescript. It is beautiful, but I'm not quite sure what is so special about this. What's really special about this car is the V16 engine. Okay. There was a competition between Packard and Cadillac in the 1920s to release a larger, more powerful engine. So Packard had released a V12 engine, and so that set Cadillac up to try and develop a V16. Why do I care about a V16? A V16 is incredibly unusual mm -hmm. and is the absolute most powerful engine that you could get at that time period. They okay. developed it in top secret conditions so nobody else would be able to um, see what they were doing. The engine itself, for those gearheads out there, the engine itself is considered to be a work of art. Okay. Yeah. And um, I do know that a fair amount of time is, is this a running automobile today? This is not currently okay. a running automobile, no. So a lot to be said for this particular automobile. I do want to mention one other thing about the Duesenberg, which I kind of skipped over, but I think it's, uh, since we had mentioned it before, I will mention it in regards to the Duesenberg. I believe E.L. Cord was involved with Duesenberg as well. Yes, E.L. Cord was involved with Auburn first. Uh, then Duesenberg, mm -hmm. and then that, and then Lycoming Engine. He bought Lycoming Engine as well, and then that set him up with a financial base to open Cord. So it's kind of sad, actually. I mean, you think of Ford, um, but E.L. Cord actually seemed right. to have been, you know, the father of ingenuity for a certain time period when we're talking about the right. beginning yeah. of our cars. They're operating a little bit on different planes in that E.L. Cord is 
focusing on luxury vehicles. Mm -hmm. Ford, for most of its early history, had been focusing on exactly the opposite, believing that the future of the automobile was in making cars inexpensive enough that the vast majority of people would be able to buy them rather than focusing on cars that were so expensive that only a few people would be able to afford to buy them. Now, as we look at this entire exhibit on the lower level again of the auto barn, what do you hope people take away from this particular level? It's a little bit different in that uh, there was huge change happening early on yes. uh, from the ni- early 1900s. Right. Um, but now we've kind of settled into body types. We're working more on options. We're working on engine types, yep. um, body, as I mentioned. Yeah. Here, I think downstairs, you're really going to appreciate the aesthetic qualities of the automobile, the different body styles that are available down here, the options that are available, and the bling, essentially, that the car makers put on their cars to attract customers at the time still attract people today. Well, again, we've been speaking about From Carriage to Classic, How Automobiles Transformed America. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for this episode of The Insider at Heritage Museums and Gardens. Again, we've been talking to Jennifer Madden, the Director of Collections and Exhibitions here at Heritage. Today's interview has been brought to you by Arbella Insurance Foundation and Cape Cod 5, both our 2019 season sponsors. You can hear more interviews like this one by finding us on iTunes more information about heritage museums and gardens and upcoming programming can all be found on our website at heritagemuseums.org. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.